the words that I say would be used by you for the good of your people, that we would all grow in understanding and commitment and faith in the one true God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I'll tell you, when you go away on vacation, the first few days back are a little, always, always kind of interesting, aren't they? I really had a wonderful time. Cynthia and I are so glad, I must confess, though, to be back. Um, there's some point in every vacation when you start thinking about home. Um, and we, we sort of got there about a week before we got back. We're so grateful. And I want to thank everybody that's helped in the, in the last month. I want to thank Tish and Bobby and Noah and Myra and whoever else has been helping with music at this service. Those that carried the the, the, the load while I was gone. I want to especially thank Shay and Kenneth, neither of whom are here today, but because um, I gave them off. But I know that I've heard nothing but good about um, what they did while I was gone. And uh, when I was listening to the sermons on Ruth, it was like I'd never read Ruth before. I don't know if it was a, a wonderful experience for you the way it was for me, but it was really quite remarkable how much I learned from the two of them over the course of July, listening online, um, when I thought I knew the story of Ruth well, but obviously they had a lot to bring to us, and it was a blessing. Um, we're back in Matthew. You know, those of you that know me, I'm looking around the room, most of you know me. We have a few folks that are visiting today. I thank God for you. But we've been in a journey together that, for me, has been one of the blessings of my whole ministry. I was called to this work in 1968, um, and here I am in 2021, still going. Um, but in all the years of my ministry, I can honestly say the last year and a half has been one of the very best. It's just been a blessing to me to be serving here. And those of you who know me know that I have really two places that I come back to always. And in my heart's desire, my own personal walk and my own personal desire for the people that I serve. And that is that we get really clear about what it means to be faithful Christians. And that we get really clear about what it means to be a faithful church. And I don't think they're separable. I don't think they can be uh, pulled apart. Whenever they're pulled apart, something's lost. Uh, a faithful church requires faithful people. Um, now, it, it also requires faithful preaching and teaching. But without faithful people, the church cannot be what God intends it to be. And we've been together now for quite a long time with me coming back regularly to Matthew's Gospel. And I'm coming back to it today, chapter 5, verse 33. And, and Jesus' teaching of his first followers, to be a Christian, is not really a word that was ever used in the beginning. No, no follower of Jesus called themselves a Christian. They called themselves disciples or followers of Jesus. And it was only outsiders who gradually began to say, they always talk about this Jesus Christ guy, this Christ guy. We, they're Christians, and they started calling them Christians. And that, that, that name came into common use long after Jesus had departed and returned to the Father. What Jesus said would be 
our name is that we would be disciples. We would be those following a master. We would be those learning from the master. We would be those who understood his teaching, had taken it in, had internalized it, had begun to want with all our heart and soul and mind and strength to learn to live it and discovering how difficult that is, except by God's grace. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord blesses, unless the Lord comes, unless the Lord pours out his spirit, we can know what he teaches, but to live in the light of that teaching and for that teaching to become our, our daily bread, that's a journey. And that's one of the reasons why we're back again in the daily devotions in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, not so that when we open that little portion of scripture each day, we can say, well, I've done my scripture for the day. But by God's grace, uh, something awakens in us that wants to know more, that wants to know more. Well, where are we today? When we come to this difficult passage in some ways, at least it's been difficult for me, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. You shall perform what you have sworn. You heard that of old. You've heard that. And then Jesus is going to go and say, but I tell you. And he's going to contrast it. And he's going to say, what you've heard is not what you are to be doing. And today, that one, that one was extremely difficult for me to get my head around. I don't know if when you heard it, it made sense to you or not. But in context, remember where we are. Jesus was preaching and teaching for quite a long time in Galilee and had gone out of the boundaries of ancient Israel. He had preached in many, many places where Jewish people now lived, but not in what you and I would call Israel. He had preached throughout the Decapolis, and he had also preached in Syria. Modern Syria still exists. And he, he had preached to Jew and Gentile. He had been praying for people. People had been healed. People had been delivered. And he is speaking and teaching in a way that no one in their own lifetime has ever heard before. And crowds are coming. And some of the people are coming for exactly the same reason that you went to the 4th of July parade. It, it was an event. You know, something's happening. A lot of people are bored. A lot of people don't have a lot going on in their life. And if crowds are turning out for something, some people will just come because the crowds are turning out. There were people that were coming because they were sick. And Lord knows if Jesus was in my town and I was ill and I heard people that got near Jesus sometimes got healed, I'd want to be wherever he was. I'd be finding out where he was, wouldn't you? You'd take your child. You'd take your friends. And so people did. But there were men and women who were there for one reason and one reason only. And that was this rabbi, this teacher is teaching in a way that is different than anything we've ever heard before. And their hearts are being touched. There's this tug that's happening in their heart. And the tug that's happening in their heart is what always happens before someone becomes a serious disciple. Jesus begins to tug at us, for some of us, long before we become 
what He desires us to be, which is a true disciple, a true follower. But whatever was going on, the crowds have grown, and at some point, Jesus has decided it's time to separate those who are serious from those who are just here for worldly reasons. And so he goes up to a high place. The scripture calls it a mountain. If you've ever been in the Holy Land, you know they're not that high, but they, but they take effort. So he went to a place that would require effort to see who would come. And he began to teach, and that's what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, that teaching, chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel, is the heart of what Jesus gave us to start to show us what it means to live in the kingdom of God. What it means to live with God being our ruler, our king, our Lord, our master. He's he's calling people to an understanding of what it means to live the life that God wants them to live now in preparation for an everlasting kingdom. So the Sermon on the Mount is really nursery school in some ways. A friend of mine calls it that. Nursery school for disciples. Now, if you know the story, and I think most of you, if not all of you do, you know there are people that are listening to the Sermon on the Mount that when it's over are never going to come again. They're going to say, this is too hard. This is not possible. I can't do this. This is ridiculous. There are going to be some, however, that want to follow and are going to follow for a little while. They're going to follow for a week or a month or maybe a year. But the more they hear, the more they're starting to say, I don't want to go where this guy's going. So I want you to realize that if any of what's being learned and heard and and you're grappling with in the Sermon on the Mount is challenging you, it should challenge you. It challenges me. It challenges me. Now, Jesus has said, because he's starting to be very different than all the other teachers that they've ever heard or known. And he's starting to to have to clarify that with them. And, and, And he tells them, I have not come to abolish the law of Moses. The things that God has said to his people, God said. I'm not here to abolish them. And I'm not here to overturn and abolish the prophets. Those men and women who have been raised up through the centuries since the giving of the law. To try to hold Israel to its faith. To call them to first principles. To keep them focused on the things that are central and that matter. I'm not here to abolish that. I'm here to fulfill the law and the prophets. None of it's going to pass away. Not one jot or tittle, not one little mark in the Hebrew text is going to disappear until all things have been accomplished. Now that's been his absolute clarity with them. And yet, he immediately launches into six subjects where everyone listening had heard this and thought following that was being faithful to God. And he's going to say, It's not faithful. This is faithful. He's going to do that six times. He does it with anger, which we all know a lot about, don't we? He's done it with sexual desire, which we all know a lot about, don't we? 
Um, he's done it with divorce and the breakup of marriages and families. And we all these days, sadly, know a lot about that, don't we? So the first three things he said, they, they immediately, they hit. And now he's going to go on to talk about oaths and retaliation and loving our enemies. <clears throat> Pray for me. Um, who doesn't want to fight back? If you get hit, you want to hit back. The hardest place that I see it in others and experience it myself is in my own family. Put that there. No, I like it here. There, there's, there's a subtle reality in us. Isn't it? Well, that'll be next week. And then the week after that, the hardest of all. I, you've heard that you should hate your enemies. It's real easy to hate them. But I say you should love them. Well, today, oaths. Now, oaths through me. I thought I knew what Jesus was teaching until I tried to clarify in my own mind what's the difference between an oath and a vow? Jesus says, don't take oaths. Don't do it. And I found that as I tried to struggle to figure out what the Lord would have me say, that I was unclear about what he was teaching after all these years. Because, because I've been asked from time to time in my life to take solemn vows. You know, uh, when I married Cynthia, I, I was asked to make a solemn vow. When I was ordained a deacon and then in time a presbyter, a priest, I was asked to make solemn vows. They really matter to me. Um, but is a vow an oath? If, if, it, if it is, then Jesus said I shouldn't have taken it. I couldn't imagine that's what he meant. Because it's one of the real critical understandings about learning to let the word of God, the scripture speak to you, that you don't take one piece of it and understand it or try to interpret it in a way that makes it contrary to other things. So you don't, you don't misuse scripture. And, and if, if a thing is hard, it's almost always because there's a lot more to understand than in the one verse. And so you have to understand other things, the scripture says. And when I began to study it, I realized that I really was weak here. There are times in the scripture when oaths are commended. Indeed, the scripture says that God gave a solemn oath to Abraham. That if Abraham would walk before him, God would bless him and through him make all the peoples of the earth a blessing. And David took oaths and the Psalms speak of fulfilling our vows and so I was really struggling and then the more I read and the more I grappled with it I started to realize what Jesus is talking about he's talking about being a person who tells the truth now that's not hard to understand we are to be truth tellers when I was a little kid I don't remember exactly but I know in my neighborhood most of the kids were a little older than me and I, um, I, would, I would love to sort of hang around with the older boys. You know, when I'm five, they're seven. That kind of thing. And I can remember at some point, I don't know what it was about or exactly what it was, but one of the big boys asked me a question. 
And I answered as, and told, told the truth as I understood it. And he said, you swear you're telling the truth on your mother's grave? And I said, yes. Yeah. He was asking me to take an oath. My mother was alive. Now, you may have a memory like that. There are all kinds of examples of it. And what this is telling us in speaking to is that that had become a way of, of behaving and speaking that was so common in our Lord's day that people were commonly verifying the truth of a transaction or a thing they had said by uttering an oath. And you saw some of the ways that it was happening in this reading. An oath by heaven. By heaven I'm telling the truth. Uh, by the throne of God I'm telling the truth. Um, by, by, by the earth which is God's footstool I'm telling the truth. By Jerusalem I'm telling the truth. And Jesus said stop it. Stop it. That's not what God taught to Israel. God did not teach, you shall not swear falsely. You've heard it, but that's not what God taught. God taught, you shall not be a false witness. That's a different thing. If I ask you a question and you say yes, and it's a lie, it's a false witness. If I say, did your neighbor do such and such, and you know they did such and such, and you say no, that's a false witness. That is what God commanded Israel to understand. It's central to the moral law. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But you see here, what you see is this tension that comes all through history and is with us still. And that's the tension between what God has said and the way we try to work with it and adjust it and get around it and neglect it and excuse ourselves. <laughs> and aren't we all guilty? I mean, all of us. But here Jesus is saying, you're not to be prevaricators. You're not to be people who cannot be trusted. And, and when you pile all these oaths on your word, you are trying to convince someone that you're telling the truth when you should be known for telling the truth. You should be known, if you're my follower, for being an honest person. You should be known for telling the truth. Your no should be no, and your yes should be yes. My personality um, is such that because I have from some deep, deep reservoir of how God made me, A, but most of all, how I grew up, I'm sure. I want to please people. I don't like unhappy people. I don't like angry people. I don't want to be around people fussing. I, I want to, to, to have things be smooth. And so I have a terrible tendency to overcommit. And then be unable to follow through in the same way that my, someone might expect me to. I have a hard time ever saying no if I'm asked to do anything. Even if it's inappropriate for me to be the one to do it. 
So I've had to struggle with this. I have an older son, our two sons, the oldest of our children is a son, who had, by God's grace, an absolute yes-no personality from like five. I mean, Christopher, our oldest, is like a yes or no man. If I told you I dig the ditch, I'll dig the ditch. If I told you I'll dig it on Monday, I'll dig it on Monday. And me, you want me to dig a ditch? Yeah, I'll dig the ditch. Could could you come? Yeah, I probably could get there on Monday. But it'd be Friday when I get there. Oh, it drove my Christopher crazy. And then when he became a man and committed his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I began to realize I was not clear about the yes and the no. And that's a struggle for me. I confess to you as I've confessed to God. What Jesus is driving at here is that we are not to find ways around God's word. We are to want to be people who learn to live in that word. We've been called, as, as we heard in the sermon earlier, we've been called to be salt in the world. We are to be different in the world. And one of the ways that we are meant to be different is we're known for telling the truth. And we're known for living in the truth. We are salt and light in the world. And when we add on these kind of things, we're, we're, we're stepping outside of what God desires of us in the kingdom. We are to be truthful people in the kingdom. A no from us should be a no, and a yes is meant to be a yes. Now, I know and you know that daily life and ordinary things of life, there's opportunities almost every day to fudge the truth. Now, sometimes it's really gracious to be quiet. (laughs) Isn't this baby beautiful? It's the ugliest baby I ever saw. (laughs) You know, we're not being asked to say that. Fortunately, by the way God's made us, we just love babies. Babies just call love out of us. Even the worst of us just love little babies, right? But so there are times when the truth ought not to be spoken. Um, The apostle would say, we are to speak the truth in love. You can speak the truth and not do it in love. And that's not what God wants. But there are a thousand ways a day that many of us have an opportunity to just fudge a little. We're not supposed to do that. And the bigger issue which Jesus is driving home again and again and again here is God has spoken and his word is clear and you're making ways around it. You're making ways around it. Stop doing that. You're not to do that. So if I had to finish up, I'll try right now. I would finish up here. Let me tell you a story from West Point. When we were plebes that first year at West Point, which is a year from hell, um, quite honestly. At least it was. I, I hope it's a little less so now that there are both men and women there, but it was awful. It was beyond awful. But on day one, by the end of the day, you were gone <laughs> or you had learned this simple lesson. There were going to be three answers and only three answers that you ever gave an upperclassman. Yes, no, or no excuse, sir. It was one or the other. Did you shine those shoes this morning, mister? 
yes, sir. Okay. But if you hadn't, and you just told a lie, and they found out you're out. Um, why is your belt buckle such a mess? No excuse, sir. <laughs> I mean, what you really wanted to say was, I didn't have time to get it shined, because you're driving me crazy with all these new rules, but you couldn't do that, right? So yes and no and no excuse, sir, was taught to us. And what we gradually began to realize over time is this is why. Men will die in battle if officers don't tell the truth. Lives will be lost if officers can't be trusted. And so they were trying to teach us that. Now they were teaching us that in a very human and fleshly and, and sometimes abusive way. But the heart of that truth was that we would recognize that we were being asked if we stayed in that place and entered into that profession to be men of honor and integrity and faithfulness and trustworthy. In many ways, they were asking us to be faithful men of God, not in God's name. And that's what Jesus is saying. I don't want you swearing to get somebody to think you're really telling the truth. I want them to learn to know that if you give them an answer, you've told the truth. That's the way I want you to live. That's what you're called to. And so he ends by saying, you know, don't take oaths. Let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Because if you add on to that, you're adding on to something that doesn't come from God. You're adding on something that comes from the enemy of God. It's coming from evil. Now, we don't like to think evil about ourselves. We like to think evil about the other guy. And that's where we'll get to in the next two weeks. But, but hear the Lord. Our yes is to be yes and our no to be no because we are to be people who live in the truth and who love the truth and want to know the truth and know that God has not spoken in vain or falsely. And so it's the journey we are on by God's grace to learn his truth so that we can speak it and we can live it. And when times are right, we can share it with those that are drawn to us and to our life. So let's pray. The good news always is this. <laughs> when we cannot do what God is asking us to do, when we discover that we've fallen, when we discover that we've tripped up, when we discover that we've made a mess, we come to him. And as often as we come, he blesses us and, and forgives us and picks us up and says, come on, you're learning, walk with me. So if you, like me, have some struggle in this area, take it to the Lord when you confess your sins today and ask for his help that you will be a yes person and a no person for Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you that your word is true. Your word is wonderful. Your word is righteous. Your word is holy. And we thank you for sending Jesus to give us through his life and his teaching and his words the truth. 
and that we would learn to live in that truth and discover the life and the way that leads into your kingdom. And we pray that by the Holy Spirit's power, the life of our church would be a place where we are more and more learning to live that kingdom on earth, even as it is in heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand. Would you stand with me? We're going to say the apostles.